0: This podcast is not to be used as medical advice or medical education. If you are experiencing pain, discomfort, or any other medical or physical ailment, please consult a licensed medical doctor or physical therapist. This is The Strategy of Fitness. Hey, this is Dan Gorn from the Strategy of Fitness podcast. We'd like to thank you for all of your support. And if you love the podcast, please recommend to a friend. Find the Strategy of Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please like, subscribe, follow, and leave a review if you can. On Instagram, we are at the Strategy of Fitness, and we also give you the best gym songs every week, the Strategy of Fitness official hitters playlist on Spotify and Apple Music.
1: Welcome back to episode 40 of the Strategy of Fitness podcast. Nick Cressy joined weekly by Dan Gorin. This week, no Rob Rowland, but we have a very, very special guest, Jordan Syatt. What's going on,
2: Jordan? What's up, guys? How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Very happy to have you here. And just very excited
1: to, to get your perspective on a lot of different things, man. Amazing. Let's do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we do weekly, we go around the room, some, any, any workouts that are worthwhile. So Dan, I know you're getting back into the gym. The CrossFit gyms are finally opening back up. What'd you hit this week, man?
0: Lots of good stuff. I, I will say me and Nick had a, a notorious Instagram beef <laughs> over, over the weekend and my Saturday workout was fun. I've just been really, really grinding my strength overhead presses, rows, weighted sit ups, buys, tries, and then I finished off with a four mile vested run at about an eight minute pace. So had to call you out on Instagram there. Obviously, you know, people were asking me like, yo, like, you really went bad on Nick there. Like, you guys okay? We're fine. For, for many reasons, we're fine, but I love the content and I'll keep talking shit on Instagram and uh, I'll do anything to make money off this podcast. So if it, <laughs> if it means calling out one of my better friends for basically no goddamn good reason, then I'm going to do it.
1: Yeah, that 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 rant on IG was so out of context, man. I mean, you were going through on a Thursday. I got early work on Thursday, and you're trying to blast me on Sunday like I'm turning down a lifting session on a Sunday. Give me a goddamn break. <laughs> Jordan, I'll, I'll get into my week in review, but what'd you do this week in the gym? Listen, before we even get into it, this is a dude that did four times his body weight in a deadlift, which absolutely blows me away. I've never spoken to someone who's done that before, so good on you, but what'd you hit this week?
2: This week was actually... All jujitsu. I did a little bit of shoulders. I did a little bit of arms, a little bit of abs, but the vast majority I've trained jujitsu every day so far this week. So nothing crazy in the gym.
1: I'd like to get into that in a couple of minutes because I hear it's a very addicting thing to play with similarly to to some ollie lifting. So we'll get into that. My week, it's only Tuesday. I did yeah, Linda this morning. It. Linda, yeah. I did Linda this morning. I think I told you guys, you know, the three bars of death. We're very CrossFit heavy here, Jordan. Uh, Dan right. and I are uh, a are, are resident funny guy. Rob can't be here today because he's actually a teacher, I think, at the University of Maryland. So he, he couldn't make it. But he, he typically typically is lamenting our CrossFit love. But yeah, week's just getting started. A lot of volume. Nothing too specific.
2: Nice. So
0: Jordan, you've you're obviously you accomplished you know a, a lot in the lifting world, a lot in the uh, personal training and fitness world, and I love your content on diet, which is what we're probably going to talk about the most today. But as it stands right now, you're obviously a very busy dude. You took the time at your schedule to hang with us, which is absolutely awesome. What is your weekly workout routine? What do you, What does it look like? And especially now with your newfound love of jujitsu, like how do you tie that into what you what you love and, and what you do?
2: Yes, yeah, so. Basically, if I'm not doing jujitsu, which I had to stop during quarantine and everything, then I go back to a very powerlifting, heavy style workout program. I generally do more of a a put like an upper lower split. I was just talking to my buddy Mike, who does a push-pull. I do upper lower split. The difference now is now that I'm I haven't been a competitive lifter in years. I'm not nearly, number one, I don't try and go nearly as heavy as I used to, but I also, I don't really back squat very much. I've got some hip labral issues. So any back squats I substitute with Bulgarian split squats. I generally do a sumo deadlift instead of conventional and my sumo deadlift has a very narrow stance. So it's a very like narrow stance sumo deadlift. So it might actually, I think a lot of people look at it and they think like he's trying to do a conventional with his hands on the inside, but it's it's just a slightly wider than shoulder width apart sumo. And then I also do a fair amount of some bodybuilding work in my accessory work, but very little accessory work geared towards building mass in my lower body. Specifically for jujitsu, one thing that I realized early on in jujitsu, which I I wrestled my whole life, I wrestled from eight years old to eighteen years old, so I have a grappling background, and then I got into jujitsu jiu- about a year ago, and I realized very early on that muscle mass on your legs is very, very inhibitive of a lot you can do in jiu-jitsu. Muscle mass in your arms and shoulders and chest and neck is very helpful for a number of reasons. So I've done as much as I can to maintain and build strength in my lower body, but actually reduce or minimize muscle mass in my lower body. And then when I'm doing jiu-jitsu, usually I'll, I just started up again literally the last week. So I go from a upper lower split to more of like a full body three-day-a-week split to combine that with jujitsu.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I myself, have stuck my toe in the wrestling water one year in seventh grade. Did not go great. uh, There's, like, two (laughs) kinds of people in the world. There's wrestlers and there's not wrestlers. And and (laughs) I'm not a wrestler. Because people say how fun Jiu-Jitsu is, and I recently did it maybe, like, two years ago and just did, like, a free class or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is exactly like high school wrestling and i <laughs> like i have sense of skin i don't have, like the fungal diseases so i was like yeah i'm,
1: I'm gonna go ahead and uh hard oh, pass, god but, fungal diseases yeah, here like, we go yeah. already jordan jesus <laughs> <laughs> when when you said wrestling from 8 to 18 my ears perked up i i did the same absolutely love the sport i think we'll get into kind of your backstory and your your life a little bit but just wrestler to wrestler man like is there anything better is there mo- anything that you know, the testinal fortitude. And I, I yearn for that competition sometimes. I think that's why I'm such a psychopath when it comes to the CrossFit stuff now, because I discovered it later in life once competition is kind of ended. Do you do the BJJ? Do you, do you do it for the for the competition or do you do it for just the love of the sport? Is, you know, that's, I know a lot of people look at it almost like an art.
2: You know, nostalgia is a very powerful emotion. And I remember my first day getting back on the mats, going to jujitsu right around a year ago now and stepping on the mats and just grappling with people, it was an immensely powerful emotion to be like, wow, I've missed this for literally a decade. I've just missed wrestling and grappling. And it was was very emotional because I grew up doing it. I spent my entire life doing it from eight to 18. And for me, my greatest workouts have always come when I have a goal of a competition. So whether that was wrestling, whether that was competitive powerlifting and now also jujitsu, I I had actually signed up for my first jujitsu competition. I was supposed to do it at the end of March, but that was canceled due to quarantine and everything. So I am 100% going to compete in it. I don't expect to get to a world-class level at all. I mean, it would take me at least a decade to get there and that's like being pretty generous with it, but (laughs) I, I love, love, love competition. I love having a date by which I must be at my absolute best. It not only helps me with, with consistency, it dramatically helps me with intensity and then also studying off the mat. So, and you can relate this to CrossFit as well, whether it's like studying technique, using a broomstick for technique for whether you want to practice your, your cleans, your jerks, snatches, whatever it is. I mean, I'm spending hours a day studying jujitsu technique, investing a significant amount in DVDs and, and really trying to uh, immerse myself in it as much as possible. And, One of the the things I've loved about it in order to help me explain it to so many people is I love the, the belt rankings, right? Like everyone, regardless of whether or not you've done a combat sport or not, you know what a white belt is. A white belt is a beginner. They're a newbie. They suck. They know nothing. A black belt is a master. And I love that visual because for me, I love being a white belt. I love knowing that I know nothing and I love being able to go in and get coached by someone who's dramatically better than me. And I love seeing that those essentially newbie gains every single day. It's just in a different sport. And I think one of the best ways to describe jujitsu, you know, from wrestler to wrestler, you know, wrestling, I think any wrestler will understand that. Your, your coaches have probably told you to go, 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 nonstop, nose to the grindstone. You, it's like brute force, brute strength, brute conditioning. You go, go, go until the other person can't go anymore. Jiu-jitsu is more, I think, jiu-jitsu is more like chess. Jiu-jitsu is you have to have good conditioning and you have to have good strength, but it's very methodical. It's not nearly as fast paced. It will go, like the rounds are significantly longer. Wrestling, it's three three different periods of two minute two minutes each. Jiu jitsu. I mean, the the higher your belt ranking goes, they'll have matches for twenty minutes long or more. It's like you can't keep that wrestling pace up in a jiu jitsu match. And if you go take a wrestler against a good jiu jitsu fighter, then all of a sudden you're gonna the jiu jitsu the jujitsu fighter is just going to sit there and wait until the rest are tires himself out and then he'll choke you out. So it, it's a super, super fun sport. It's a very much like human chess in which you can break the other person's limbs or choke them out
1: i love that man and it's it's so weird from again the wrestling perspective you never lay on your back right you you mess around with some of these brazilian jiu-jitsu guys and they'll lay on their back and they just welcome you into the guard and oh, say come on they're excited for it <laughs> and next thing you know you know my whole life i've been you know stronger than most people and pretty good at wrestling you get in there and next thing you know it's it's like a venus flytrap you're not getting out and it's like man i just played right into your hand so it really is it's a mental game as much as it's a physical game.
2: That's exactly right. It's fine. I'm I'm a big proponent of of if you can doing one on one coaching because like group classes are great and everything, but obviously the more individual attention you can get, the better. So I, I recently hired a one on one Brazilian Jiu Jitsu coach. He's an incredible coach, a really nice guy, and we were just talking today. At at the session today, he caught me in a triangle choke like three times in a row. Now, keep in mind, he's literally number eight in the world. His name is Rafael Costa. (laughs) He's like a black belt for 20 years. He's incredible. And he laughs and he's straight from Brazil. So he's super funny, really nice guy, really outgoing. And basically, he's like, Man, you wrestlers, you guys all do the same dumb stuff. He's like, You just leave your arm out there for me. So it's very easy for me to do this. And all of the things that we learn in wrestling are the exact opposite of what you should be doing in very much of jujitsu. So like we would walk around in our wrestling stance for 20 minutes, just like staying down, like our, our, our you don't want to be upright. If you're upright, your torso is tall. It's easier to get taken down in jujitsu. A lot of times you actually want to be upright. So you don't get caught in a triangle choke or an arm bar. So it's, it's sort of trying to eliminate a lot of the habits that you've learned in wrestling, but you still actually do benefit from the grappling and the rolling experience. So I think one of the best ways I've figured out how to explain it is wrestling is the sport of control. Your job is to control the other individual. If you can control them to the point in which you can keep both their shoulders on the mat, you win. It's a pin. Jiu-jitsu is the sport of control leading to submission, right? So it's, it's, Mixing both wrestling and another aspect into it, which is you need to control them to the point in which now you can actually apply a submission hold to them, which takes it a step further. In which I think wrestling, you can get away with more brute strength. You can get away with more conditioning. You can get away with less technique and much more grit. Jiu jitsu is not the same. Jiu jitsu is much more methodical and deliberate.
1: That's an awesome breakdown and a really good, really good distinction.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great breakdown. I love hearing that you're still like you, you you've accomplished a lot in the strength and conditioning world, and it almost makes me you know re- relate it back to kind of what I'm going through with, you know, I've been in the yeah I'm 35 years old and been in you know weight rooms, and I've really liked running a lot, and I think CrossFit like. Much like you said with jiu-jitsu, it's just a new challenge to tackle, something totally different where you're still engaging in a physical manner, but it's, it's just a totally different thing. And it kind of has renewed my faith slash enthusiasm for exercise in general. So I don't know if you feel any of that too. So Absolutely.
2: Awesome. That's, that's like 90% of this stuff, right? Is finding something that you can enjoy. Because as soon as you don't enjoy it anymore, it's very difficult to actually motivate yourself to do. And that's when we often find ourselves resenting what it is we initially started by loving right? I I think if you find whether it's CrossFit, whether it's powerlifting, whether it's Olympic lifting, whether it's kettlebell classes, I don't care what it is. If you find something you love, then go all in on it. Because that's, that's what all of this is. When you find a mode of exercise that you love, you win. And most people- never actually find a, a form of exercise they enjoy so much. Most people feel like they need to suffer through exercise. Now, that's a whole separate topic. We can talk about willful suffering. Just because you enjoy CrossFit doesn't mean you're not going to absolutely like go through some brutally hellish workouts. But all of a sudden, it becomes worth it because you actually love the process. And finding a, a mode of exercise that you love and enjoy, I think that is literally 90% of success.
1: God, that's the key to happiness right there. That's the key to happiness. I feel so bad for the people that have, ne- and they're probably not the people that listen to the strategy of fitness podcast, but the people that have never like found that passion. And you can tell when you talk to someone who doesn't really align with that thinking, they just don't know what it means. They're like, what do you mean? It's like, you kind of lose yourself when, you- when you're just enjoying what you're doing so much that, yeah, of course there's going to be painful days, but for the most part, it's just like, it's a passion. It's like spending time with a best friend or, or with your wife or your kids. Like it, it's, it's so hard to explain. I think you did a good job doing it though. Thanks man. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Jordan, a little bit about us. I'm a physical therapist. Like I said, 35 years old, wife, two kids, yada, yada, yada. And there's, you can go back through our episodes and listen, if, if you're a new listener out there and you, and you've, been turned on to us via Jordan, which is great, of who we are. Nick is very modest, but he's a military badass, former, former uh, Navy special warfare operator. So that's a little bit about us. And I just want to know a little bit about you because you've blown up. Your YouTube is killing it. Your Instagram is killing it. I think you have, like one of the reasons I want to get you on is your dieting tips is like your stuff that you put out in like a little Instagram post is better than like 99% of the bullshit that's out there. And it's probably simpler, too. (laughs) I like simple, and I like plain, and I like scientifically based, which I think you fall into all those boxes. So tell me who you are, kind of what got you into this passion, speaking about the diet.
2: Yeah, man. Well, so first and foremost, thank you, and also Nick, thank you for your service. So I started all this from wrestling, basically. So I, I wrestled from eight to eighteen. I made varsity as a freshman. I had to cut from one hundred and twelve pounds to one hundred and three pounds my freshman year. And me too, bro. the <laughs> the, the issue was I, I was fortunate in that because I'd been wrestling for so long, but by the time I got to high school, my technique. Was actually very good i was a good technique wise wrestler and endurance wise but as a freshman going up against juniors and seniors i wasn't nearly strong enough so i started to research strength and conditioning and i started to research how to use nutrition in order to lose weight because trying to cut from 112 to 103 based on the high school wrestling coach's nutrition knowledge was a very poor idea so i ended up applying to an to a gym nearby for an internship. I was just like, Hey, like I'll come, I'll clean the floors. I'll take the trash out. Just like, let me come and train and learn from you. And the first gym denied me. They said, our clients don't want a high school kid walking around. And so I applied to a second gym and they took me in and it was a blessing because they were incredibly knowledgeable. They were very science-based and I was 14 years old. And from 14 years old, I was thrust into a very science-based community of both strength and conditioning and nutrition. And so I was, I was very lucky. And they took me under their wing. They helped me a lot. So And I worked there all through high school, from 14 all the way until graduation. And I would actually come back during summer vacations and, and still work there. So I became a coach very early on. My first client, I remember it vividly, was a 68-year-old guy named Fred at this gym. It was called Punch Kettlebell Gym. And his main goal was literally just to be able to pick his grandson up without hurting his shoulders because he had serious rotator cuff issues. So as a 14-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, wrestler trying to lose weight and also just look good naked, my perspective at the time was everyone just wants to get a six-pack and be strong. But then my first client doesn't care at all about that. And this is where I really developed my passion for coaching. I was like, this guy doesn't care how he looks naked. This guy doesn't care about any of that. He just wants to be able to pick his grandson up without hurting himself. It was a huge perspective shift for me to have at a very young age. And I was very lucky to have these incredible coaches Stacey Shadler, Kevin McCarthy took me under their wing. And they were watching over me as I did program design and as I coached him and cued him and all this stuff. It was just so much experience at a very young age that I'm incredibly grateful for now. And I was also. I was in special education growing up. So in special education, I had a lot of, I had extra time. I would go to a separate room for, to take exams. And I always had trouble learning based on the way the education system was set up. And I think that actually has benefited me tremendously as a coach and as a content creator, because I know as an individual who struggles to take in concepts and understand them based on traditional education, I've learned how to relay information in a very simplistic, very digestible way because I had to do that myself growing up all the way from elementary school through college. So I think that's helped me a lot in terms of understanding how can I relay this information in a way that's like outrageously simple and easy to digest that will people, they'll not only understand it, but they'll actually be able to apply it. And so that's really how I've been able to do it.
0: That's a terrific answer, yeah. And, you know, being from a physical therapy background, it, it will change your perspective when you have people that come in with just the most simplistic goals ever. But if you help them reach those goals, I mean, the, the change in quality of life is, is probably greater than any six pack or, you know, massive peck blowout or lack blowout that, that they could get. You know, they, they, they just want that functional component of their life back and, and giving that back to them, you know, as a young man, I, I can't imagine how much of a profound impact that had on, on your future.
2: Yeah, 100%.
0: Do you read any of the, uh, oh my God, David and Goliath, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, do you read any of his
2: books? Yeah, Outliers and whatnot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it might've been in Outliers where he talks about all the amazing CEOs and billionaires that have struggled with dyslexia and they had to learn things in a different way, which kind of reshaped and remolded their ability to to kind of get into their different pursuits. and because of the way they had to learn, because they could barely read, they they became, you know, these fascinating and amazing people that looked in the world in a completely different ways. So that, that story of yours completely reminded me of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that really comes down to uh, one of the things a lot of people tell me is like my analogies. And I really go out of my way to try and come up with analogies that make sense to people that really like they hit home with people. They not hit home just like on a surface level, but actually internally on a, on a deeper emotional level, be able to express things in a way that anyone can relate to. And I think when you can take something from a knowledge base to more of an emotion-based sort of, I was talking about earlier about nostalgia. Nostalgia is an incredibly powerful emotion. When you can get people to feel something in regard to something you're teaching them knowledge-wise, they're far more likely to actually understand it and understand the importance of it and be able to practically apply it rather than just teaching them, all right, well, we're just going to teach you the Krebs cycle today. And we're going to memorize that. It's like, no, that doesn't do anything. How about we actually teach you something that you can develop an emotional connection with that you'll then really understand and understand how to practically apply to your daily life.
1: Very cool. Just to derail us now that we're in a nice flow, you you mentioned cutting weight in wrestling. And I I, I love commiserating with folks about that. So I, I have this theory that the weight cut in high school has permanently jacked up my metabolism. And I think in a good way, I mean, I can float like six pounds in a night, like no bullshit. I'll go to sleep at 200 and i'll wake up at like 194 do you think look you're the you're like a diet master at this point do you think that sucking weight very un you know i wasn't doing it the way you should do it let's put it that way it was pretty aggressive i mean the
0: milford the milford delaware high school wrestling team wasn't the epicenter <laughs> for uh, strength conditioning and weight code. i'm
1: trying i'm tiptoeing i'm tiptoeing because i don't want to say i was a fucking idiot but i was kind of stupid sucking a lot of weight the night before a match do you think that has a long-lasting
2: effect, or am I crazy? No, it does not. It it absolutely does not. It it the only people who've like, well, I guess I shouldn't definitively say it does not, but the the main people who've actually struggled with with chronic metabolic issues for years after they've stopped dieting are people who it, they didn't do like weight cuts like like we did. In which I'm assuming after your weight cut, you'd probably do the standard binge, right? You'd weigh of in. Course. Nuts. Yeah. So oftentimes the the majority of people who really struggle with metabolic issues are the people who legitimately starved themselves for like with severe anorexia for mm-hmm. years, for years and years and years. And then and so that a uh, sucking weight overnight, even how as terrible as it is for you, especially from a psychological perspective, no, I, I don't think you jacked up your metabolism. And I think it's actually you, you said two terms that I think most regular people will not understand, sucking weight and floating weight, that only a, really a wrestler, maybe a, a fighter would understand in terms of floating weight where you go to bed, you weigh one thing when you go to sleep. And then when you wake up, you weigh significantly lighter. You know, I've seen similar things with myself. Sometimes I'll, I'm a smaller guy, I only weigh about 155 pounds. So I'll go to bed 158 and I'll wake up 154. So it's a pretty significant percentage of my body weight. But uh, one thing I've realized just from tracking literally thousands of people's weight, just from online coaching and whatnot, it's very common, like it, very, and the bigger you are, the more you'll float. And, and so, yeah, so it, it's very, very common. I, I would cool. say. I it, mean, I it,
1: always thought it was a good thing, honestly. It, it's not something I was bitching about. It's funny, my wife, she's known me since high school and she's like, I don't know how you can eat like that and go to sleep at what, at 201 and wake up at 195. Like, <laughs> I can't do that at the same percent. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's probably the wrestling. And I was like, ah, I don't really know if there's any truth to that. And I you know, figured I'd ask. But uh, it's not surprising that it has literally nothing to do with it. Metabolism (laughs) is metabolism, right?
2: Yeah. And our bodies are very good at recovering. I think a lot of humans and and people in the industry, more charlatan-based and pseudoscientific-based, they like to make it seem like our body's really bad at what it does, and our body is very good. Our bodies are very intelligent, they're very good at recovering, they're very good at, at recuperating, and so a lot of people who are like, oh, you're gonna have metabolic damage, I'm like, you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. It's just, it takes a lot to really, really hurt your body's metabolism.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a fun thing to, to think about, but if, if you really dig into history and people that have been starved or, or, you know, grown up in really harsh conditions, like.
3: If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early, and home late, so having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Proven grit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check
0: it out. They can live normal adult lives if they're recovered, you know. Oh, so absolutely. The, the, the adaptability yeah. of the human body, I think, is, is almost infinitesimal. Like it's, it's infinite, you know, like it's an amazingly adaptable structure and it's not a machine. It doesn't operate like, you know, a Toyota Corolla. It's, it, it's amazingly adaptive.
2: That's exactly right. 100%.
0: So Jordan, I want to talk to you about this because I've, you know, kind of in, within my family, you know, have had some experience with this, but, but disordered eating, right? I think it's disordered eating people who binge eat, people who, you know, have anorexia, bulimia. I know you're not a, you know, technically an MD that deals with these types of patients or a psychiatrist that deals with these types of patients, but how common do you think the binge eating is in this disordered eating spectrum is amongst gym goers and amongst, pe- amongst people that might listen to this podcast and, and what beyond the steps. And I think that all of our advice would be, you know, go seek medical help, but, but how common do you think a, like a milder version of this
2: disorder eating is? So it's a really wonderful question. I would say binge eating is one of the most common things that I see on a daily basis. And I think more people struggle with it than people realize. And and one of the issues with that is so many people struggle with it, but especially until very recently, very few people actually talk about it. So most people who struggle with it think they're the only one, and which is why one of the most common tendencies of people who binge eat is they do it alone. So we see this one, I think one of the most common patterns we'll see is. Someone will not eat much in public. They won't really eat much at work. They won't eat much if they go out to eat with friends. And then they'll go home. And when they're all alone at night, eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever it is at night, when they're all alone, their family goes to sleep, their partner goes to sleep, then they'll let loose and they'll binge on easily thousands of calories. And these are often the people who a, a friend will say, Well, my friend, they barely eat at all, but they struggle with losing weight. So clearly calories aren't the issue. It's like, Well, are you with your friend at 11 p.m.? Because if you're not, then you have no idea what they're struggling with. So binge eating is without question one of the biggest issues I see across the fitness industry in the world in general. Interestingly, I've noticed that the more people get involved in fitness and physique development, the more likely they are to struggle with binge eating. People who aren't as involved in fitness or aren't as focused on their body rarely struggle with it. And I think it's it's one of those things that develop that as you get more and more obsessive compulsive over your body fat, and then also in turn over your nutrition, it's one of the things that ironically you lose control over is your nutrition. The more obsessive compulsive you get about your body about trying to lose weight, about trying to manage your nutrition, the more difficult it is to actually control yourself around food, which is why it's very interesting. I see people who are not in the fitness industry who have significantly healthier relationships with food than industry professionals, whether it's nutritionists, personal trainers, whatever it is, just because they don't think about food all the time. But if it, it's, not, it's not normal. It's not a good thing to be constantly thinking about food. And the more you do, the more likely you are to struggle with it. So that's tremendously common, especially as you get into the fitness industry and then anorexia bulimia they're they're less common they clearly are a huge huge issue that many people struggle with and i think the number one recommendation i could give for anyone with that is go see a doctor immediately and also understand you're not alone there are many people who struggle with it but those are are less common than we'll say binge eating
1: got it and then you know you probably wouldn't call it a fringe disorder it's probably a disorder or not but if you do if you're working with a client you're coaching someone how do you address it because People can be very protective around that. How do you how do people let their guard down around you? Or is that inherent in the the coaching relationship?
2: So it's definitely not inherent. It's it's sort of how you develop as a coach and how you foster the relationship with a client. If there's any coaches listening, or even for you two, if you if you want, I don't know if you've read it, there's a wonderful book called Motivational Interviewing a lot of people, when they start looking for it, they find there's recent, a recent text for motivational interviewing that was created specifically for the fitness industry. I never read that text. I read the original motivational interviewing text, which is a tool that psychologists use with their patients in order to help the patients essentially come up with the answer on their own. Cause if I were just to tell you like, Hey, eat more vegetables, you'd say, Hey, fuck off. Right? (laughs) Like it's just, human nature, especially as you get older and older and older to not want to listen to what other people demand you do. As soon as you're demanded to do something, it's like, get the fuck away. Even if you paid that person to tell you what to do, it's still oftentimes like, I don't want to do what you're saying. And that's where I think a lot of coaches go wrong. A lot of coaches demand something of their clients. They, you must do this. You paid me to do this. So do this. And it's like, it's a really terrible way to go about it. You know, Sort of to go a little bit off track, we actually see this right now in in society and culture with people demanding people to post certain things on social media, demanding them to stay say who they're with and who they support. I'm like, why are you demanding this of anybody? Like, let people do it on their own. And if you understood behavior change in psychology at all, you'd understand demanding it of them will actually push them further away from your cause.
0: Like the COVID thing, they tell me to stay in my house, and the first thing I want to do is just go to the bar and just you know French kiss people.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> You would think we would all realize this because we were teenagers at one point and everything my parents told me to do, I did the opposite of. So it makes perfect
2: sense that we would continue to do that into adulthood. That's it's very much it's I'm sort of joking, but sort of not joking. Like eventually, hopefully one day when I have kids, like (laughs) if if when they're in high school, I'm not going to say you can't drink. Like, that's a very stupid idea because I know that's what I was told and I drank like crazy. It's, whereas, if you say, like, yeah, listen, if you want to have some drinks, that's totally fine. And it's like talking about that and then educating them on and being there to support them. But, and this is essentially what you do with a client. It's like if someone's, if you th- think one of your clients is struggling with binge eating or anorexia or whatever it is, talk to them about it and, and ask them questions that allow them to talk, that give them an opportunity to share it with you rather than you demanding them them do things, even and especially if you know the answer, even if you know what is wrong and how to fix it, that doesn't matter. And this is a super important thing for coaches to understand. Even if you know what is wrong and how to fix it, that is completely and utterly irrelevant if the person you tell isn't going to be willing to practically apply what you say. So your job as a coach isn't to tell them what to do, it's to structure the conversation in a way in which they figure out what to do on their own.
0: That resonates with me so much because in the physical therapy landscape, you know, there's a lot of room where I'm trying to have somebody make a behavioral change, be it exercise more. And again, I won't get into the diet stuff much, but occasionally if, if somebody asks, and for me, and I don't know if you found this to be effective at all, but I do see you do it a little bit on your Instagram where you're like, yo, this is I'm gonna eat some MMs here. Like like sometimes I'll talk, I'll be like, yo, last night, like I got home and you know, went to this ice cream place littles, I got my, you know, flurry, I had it. Like almost talking to somebody who's obese or overweight or struggling with their weight about like what you do or what you eat almost opens the door a little bit and you know, without giving them any advice, it almost makes them feel comfortable telling having them tell you about that. Have you noticed that
2: at all? Absolutely. It's a super good point. And if if you look into the the research around a term called self-efficacy, this is a very, very good strategy to help build someone's self-efficacy. So self-efficacy is basically, it's essentially helping, it's the measure of someone's confidence in their ability to succeed at a given task. So it's similar to self-confidence, but it's a little bit different. It's very specific to one task. So one way to improve someone's self-efficacy to improve their belief in their ability to succeed is something called social modeling. And that's one of the main reasons why I weigh myself every day on my Instagram and I show my weight. It's one of the reasons why I will show myself eating both healthy foods and also more like Big Macs or whatever it is. Because when they see actual other people doing it, when they see someone else doing it, then in their mind, they're like, oh, okay, like so maybe I can do that too. It's the same thing why like when you train in a gym with people significantly stronger than you, you will get stronger simply by being in that environment. It's, a lot of that is social modeling. You see what other people can do. We can look at the four-minute mile. Before anyone broke the four-minute mile, everyone thought it was impossible. As soon as one person did it, Hundreds of people have done it. But before that, they thought it was a literal physiological impossibility to do. And so it's a very powerful tool to show people what you're doing because it very much opens up their mind to being open and honest with both themselves and with you and also their possibility of saying, okay, like I can actually do this.
1: That's great. You mentioned Big Macs and now my brain's not going to be able to get over the fact that you mentioned (laughs) it and ate it for 30 days in a row. I, first of all, love the YouTube video and I love the message. I'll let you explain a little bit more, but it's something that I say to people all the time that you can have moderate, as long as you have your guilty pleasures in moderation, you can still have an overall healthy life. And I think that is what you were trying to illustrate. I'm not going to hijack your message, but I think that was great. Maybe share with the listeners what you learned and what you, what you showed in that little case study.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I would say for me, I wanted to show people that you can have a slice of pizza, a slice of pizza at your daughter's birthday party and not feel like you ruined all of your progress. I wanted to show people that you could have a slice of cake at your nephew's graduation ceremony and not feel like you screwed everything up. And then you're going to need to starve yourself the next day in order to, in order to make up for the quote unquote damage. That's not how this works, right? I've always said, no one ever got skinny from having one salad. No one ever got fat from having one donut. Progress in either direction takes a tremendous amount of time, patience, and consistency. So if your entire diet is pizza or your entire diet is cake or your entire diet is, people always bring up the the, the Twinkie. That's like apparently the pinnacle of unhealthy food is Twinkies. So people always say, well, if you have a Twinkie, Twinkies are going to make you fat. I'm always like, all right, well, let me ask you this. If you have one Twinkie a day, that's it, just one Twinkie. That's it. That's all you eat. Are you going to get fat from that? And any logical individual would say no, because it's what, like 200 calories or something? It's like you you would lose your muscle mass. You'd be seriously deficient in any and all micronutrients. It would be very unhealthy. Your mood would go down. Sex drive would go down. You'd have a host of issues as a result of only having one fucking Twinkie a day. And I'm not suggesting anybody do that. But if we're talking about fat loss specifically, then you have to understand that moderation and portion control and managing your energy intake, how many calories you're eating is the single most important thing, right? So, and that's where you can have, I I basically ate one Big Mac a day every day for 30 days as part of my overall diet. It's not all I ate, but I had one Big Mac every day for 30 days. I lost seven pounds over those 30 days. People lost their shit. They couldn't believe it. (laughs) It just completely blew their (laughs)
0: head.
2: That's uh, awesome. (laughs) It's, to this day, it's like the piece of content I'm most proud of that I've ever made. And I've been making content since 2011 because of how many people have told me, oh, like literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people have messaged me like, this has saved my life, my relationship with food. It's shown me that I can enjoy a slice of pizza, cake, Twinkies, whatever they want to eat in moderation. They don't have to give it all up. And And when they know that, now they can actually start to develop a healthy relationship with food. Perfect illustration of it, man. That's that's great. I I was chuckling.
1: I was chuckling when I was watching the video, and I was wondering if you got just hellacious feedback or if it was positive. It sounds like a little bit of both, but primarily overwhelmingly good. So
2: good on you. There was, especially at the beginning when I first started doing the challenge and documenting it on Instagram, there was a significant amount of of negative feedback. Once it was all said and done, and I made the YouTube video. of the, of the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Even if you go look at like the like dislike ratio on YouTube, it's, it's outrageous. So the, the overarching response is is incredible. And I think anybody who has negative things to say about it, they didn't watch it because there's not a single logical individual who could watch that video and disagree or not like it just based on, it's so mo- it's so moderate and straightforward and and truthful and just honest. That's all it is. So it, most of the people who who say they didn't like it, I'll have a conversation with them, and very quickly within a matter of seconds, I can tell they didn't actually watch the video.
0: So this is a, a question I have because you're huge on Instagram and social media. Like, does any of that stuff ever weigh on you? The negative comments, or is it mostly pretty positive? You seem like a pretty positive
2: dude. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm very lucky in that I, I am a pretty positive, optimistic person. I think that's very much like. Genetically within me, and I'm super lucky about that. I can see why people with large audiences really struggle with it. I can see why people with large audiences who get like, I mean, I'm nowhere near famous at all. Like, I mean, there are people with millions and millions and millions of followers. They're being just like, their lives are completely intruded on. They have like paparazzi outside their house. They can't get a minute alone. Like, I can see how people would lose their shit. I can see how people would hit a camera that's in their face. And then the media only shows as one snippet of the person getting mad at the camera. It's like, imagine that day in and day out and day in and day out, people constantly bombarding you with messages and messages and demanding things of you and shoving it in your face. I mean, I'll tell you, you with all the recent events going on with the coronavirus and then with, with the tragedy that was George Floyd's just murder, I've felt an immense amount of pressure from people to do things that I think are a little bit inappropriate of anyone to ask a complete stranger, demanding people, demanding me to say who, who I stand with and what I support and posting links to do this and links to do that. It's just like, it's nonstop. It's a barrage of people demanding things of me solely based on the number of followers they see that I have. I'm like, this is, this is completely, utterly inappropriate to demand this of anybody, never mind a complete stranger. So it's overarching, incredibly positive and I'm blessed to have such a platform, but yeah, it can be very, very invasive and intrusive for sure. Yeah. It's, it's definitely the gift
1: and the curse. Cause obviously as you're acknowledging, there's worse ways to make a living, but the exposure can be overwhelming. I'm sure to that point, we'd be remiss, not, not to mention the content King himself. You, you trained Gary Vee for three years, right? Another awesome YouTube video you, you put up kind of how that ended. What, Was that experience like other than it just sounded like just a grind, bro? Like (laughs) it was nonstop. You were traveling so much. Good Lord. It was every day for three years, right?
2: Yeah. It was literally seven days a week for three years straight. And I think when people hear that, they don't fully understand what that means. It's like no vacations, no weekends, no nothing. Seven days a week for three years straight, completely and utterly on call whenever Gary needs you. And if he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong. If he was in LA, I was in LA. If he was in Tennessee, I was in Tennessee. If he was in the United Kingdom, I was in the United Kingdom. It was not- He's
1: always somewhere.
2: <laughs> he's always somewhere. I spent more time in airplanes and hotels than I did in my own apartment over those three years. And I think you know, it's it's not difficult. You go look back at my physique when I first started with Gary, which was near the end of my, it was, it was a, a little bit it was maybe about a year after my, Oh no, not a year after it was probably about like six months after my powerlifting career had ended more like nine, 10 months, either way, it was, it was almost a year after my powerlifting career had ended. And I was still training super consistently, very, very hard, very diligently. You look at my physique there. And then you look at my physique, when I finished with Gary and you're like, damn, like what happened? And it was, it wasn't that much. It was like 15 pounds, but like it was, it was significantly more fat, significantly less muscle. And I I think one of the greatest benefits that I took from it outside of learning about content and social media and, and human behavior and psychology was understanding how difficult it is for busy people and not just business professionals, but busy moms, moms of two, moms of three, staying at home all day. They're constantly on the go. I really saw firsthand how incredibly difficult it is as a very, 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 very busy individual to keep control of your nutrition, to be consistent with your training when you're super exhausted. And the last thing you want to do is work out. It's one thing when you're super exhausted as a coach, but you're still at the gym all day and you can still get your workouts in and you're still, you can still package your meals and meal prep. It is completely and utterly different when you are on the go seven days a week, nonstop. And I think that has benefited me tremendously as a coach and content creator to learn, okay, well, listen, these people, they are not trying to get to 6% body fat. These people are not trying to deadlift a world record amount. These people, they want to be healthy. They want to understand how to eat in a way that will fuel them, make them feel better, give them more energy, lose some body fat for sure, but not reach a a stage peak physique. So it, it gave me a whole new perspective. And I think that's one of the best things that I've been able to experience throughout my entire life is getting new perspectives in as many situations as I can to help essentially empathize and understand with so many different people.
0: Yeah. The struggle is real for, you know, especially once you start having kids, you know, it's, I like, I've been blessed with, you know, having some friends like Rob who, who didn't make it here today, but, and Nick who kind of keep me motivated, you know, once I had kids and it it is a grind, especially the motherhood. Cause for moms, it just never stops. It's usually, you know, in my experience, a different type of bond between the kids and the mother. And, and you're, like you said, you're on the go 24 seven. And sometimes it can be very, very tough to get those workouts in and, and to be even somewhat mindful of your diet.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I- exactly. And also is a huge perspective shift going from having access to a world-class training facility and, and literally every piece of equipment anyone could ever want in the world to, going to hotel gyms that have dumbbells up to 25 pounds and a treadmill. And it's, or it's like traveling after literally maybe 72 hours, like literally we went to Ireland for eight hours, Germany for 16 hours, then flew to New York for 24 hours then flew to LA and it was like, all right, I'm fucking exhausted. I've barely eaten at all. And I like have just been working on planes nonstop, but, and I haven't worked out in the better part of four days as a result of it. It's like, it's very easy for a week to go by without working out once when you're just constantly going. And these people, man, like it
1: shows the importance of the coach and it shows why these high performers in business keep people like you so close to their side because you've mentioned it a couple of times and every one of our guests at the high performance level have mentioned it. It's consistency, consistency, consistency. And they may have a crazy business drive, but they need someone to get in their ass and make sure they're working out or eating healthy. And that's where you come in. So I can only imagine your growth in the space- juggling all of that and now branching off and doing your own thing with all of that experience and some, right? So I'm sure that's just unlocked potential for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's given me a lot of perspective and a lot of, a lot of insight into, it's sort of like the, the social modeling thing. Like I think hanging out with Gary for three years, a lot of people ask me like, you must've learned so much. He must've taught you so much. Gary's an amazing guy. He's like family to me. But one thing that like I talked to personal trainers, i personal trainers will say, what'd you learn from Gary? What did he teach you? You must've learned so much in the workouts. I'm like, do you, when you coach an accountant, do you learn, like, do you master accounting from your accounting client? It's like, no, of course not. Like do you, when you work with a lawyer, like, are they teaching you about everything they had in the bar exam? Like, no, of course not. It's like you're coaching them. It's their hour, not yours. So, I mean, it's not like we were spending hours together and he was just giving me all the secrets. The the biggest thing that I learned from Gary, just from observing him was how fucking hard this guy works. He's up at five, six in the morning, every day, goes to bed at midnight, one, two in the morning, repeats over, and over and over he does like his schedule is booked 6 months in advance he doesn't have a free minute in the day everything is is in the calendar including his shower including his travel time it's like it's seeing that above all else showed me what's possible. So in the same way I see a four minute mile as possible, even though I don't want to run a four minute mile, I know that I have a lot to improve. And I know I can do a lot, even if I just want to get to a, I don't know, five and a half minute mile, like that'd be great. I don't want to get to Gary's level because like, that's not the life I want to live, but it does show me I can get to a very high level just by working harder.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, so we're, we're getting close to the end here, but we do want to hit you with some quick hitter questions and then see if you have any gym songs for us that could help the help listeners out in the gym. Yeah. So my first question is what, how do you define strength? So you have uh, four times your own body weight and deadlift, but if you're at the gym, you're seeing somebody else lift and you see them hit a, a certain number, be it absolute or relative strength. What's, what is strong to you? What's your definition of strong?
2: Specifically in relation to to the gym and, and physical strength?
0: Exactly. Like, somebody, if, is like an example would be if somebody could hit a 275 pound bench or somebody can bench one and a half times their body weight, something like that. What is a good standard for you and the listeners?
2: I would say a, a three times body weight deadlift is a really good marker. I would say a two times body weight squat and a one and a half times body weight bench press are all pretty damn strong individuals. If you can get to those markers, I'd say those are great. I would say if you can get to half of your body weight in a weighted chin-up, that's also a great marker to hit. So yeah, I'd say all of those are, are some of my my major ones.
1: I love that. I love the ad of the pull-up there. That's fantastic. No one's done that yet. And thank you for making it relative. A lot of times people come on here and say, 500 pound deadlifts and I was like, well, <laughs> look, you did it, bro, which was amazing. But a lot of people are, you know, females listening, to them. They're like, well, what, what does that mean for me?
2: Yeah. And, and to be honest, I might even change it for, for women. I might even say like two and a half times body weight for women, one and a half times squat, one time body weight, bench press, generally speaking, it, it's significantly, it, Men have an advantage in many ways, especially when it comes to strength. Women have a massive advantage when it comes to more flexibility and mobility. Very rarely do you see a man who can do what a woman can do in yoga just because women have a massive advantage in that based on just congenital laxity, blah, blah, blah. So I think generally reducing those by about half for women makes sense. Perfect.
1: Okay, my question is a very important one. Favorite seltzer, unalcoholic, non-alcoholic,
2: what do you got? Favorite non-alcoholic seltzer. That's it. Perfect. I would say I'm a big fan of just re- regular. What's the, it's Perrier, right? I think it's Perrier is like the green. Yeah. One. yeah that's yep. my favorite one for sure. I, I like it in the, it. the, I'm not bougie and I, I don't get it in the glass bottle for my home. You're I usually bougie. get it in the plastic one, but when I'm out at dinner, it's just something, it tastes better in the glass bottle.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I totally agree. And I have no problem being bougie. If I'm out a nice dinner, I'm getting that in the glass bottle. What about alcoholic? Are, are you on this Bud Light Seltzer, White Claw, High Noon craze or not so much?
2: <laughs> no, I, I'm not much of an alcohol guy at all. I literally took an entire year away from alcohol in 2019 and it extended several months into 2020 just because I'm I'm not a big alcohol guy, but right now I'm drinking a fair amount of white wine. And also when I, when I go something for a little bit more hard, I'll go for some whiskey, but I will say, I mean, I spent four years in Delaware and I'm a huge fan of dogfish head.
1: Shit. We didn't even talk about that. We're running out of time.
2: Why were you in Delaware for four years? At school. I went to the university of Delaware. Ah, well,
1: there that's you go.
0: Me, yeah. That's where me and Rob went for a PT school. What did you study there?
2: So I actually started in exercise science and then I fucking hated it. Cause you have to remember, I just went from four years in high school at, at a coach, at a gym at coaching people and with like in a very science-based community. And then I went into university of Delaware and to be fair, it could have been any school because after high school, I took a year off. I went to Israel and I lived in Israel for a year. One of the best years of my life, went to university of Delaware and I fucking hated it. I hated the people, I hated the school, I hated the teachers, I hated everything. And that's just because I was an angsty, obnoxious little kid. But I was just, I hated it. And so I went into exercise science and I very quickly learned that none of the teachers or professors had actually ever coached anybody before. And they were talking from a textbook that was years old. And I even when I would discuss recent research with them, they were tenured and they had never they hadn't read up-to-date research at all. So I was pissed. And I also realized that. You could have the best program in the world, you could have the best whatever, but if, you, if the client doesn't want to make the change, then it doesn't matter. So actually, I switched early on in my freshman year to behavioral health and psychology, and that was the best decision I made.
0: That's funny. This my under, uh, undergrad degree was also in psychology before I went to, to PT for grad school, so similar route there. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Uh, a super glowing endorsement at the University of Delaware. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, at least he, he shouted out Dogfish Head. That's good. And I'm sure he went down to Dewey a fair amount. Nothing bad to say about Dewey. I, I can't imagine anyway.
2: No, Dewey is great. Dogfish Head is great. I'm a huge fan of the 90-minute IPA. I, and just to be fair to the university, like I, I think I would have hated college anywhere. I was very close to joining the Israeli Defense Force. The only reason I came back is because my mom said if I joined the IDF, she was literally going to fucking kill me. So I was like, all Dude, right. Dude,
1: I went over there and trained <laughs> with those guys for a couple weeks. It was awesome. You it, huh? awesome. Oh, I love it. Tel Aviv for one is just, is there any place better on earth to go chill? <laughs> oh my God. And then hanging out with those guys, they are some bad dudes.
2: Yeah, I have family there and my family there is one of my family members. He was in the tank units there and he was telling me that U.S. troops come over there all the time and they have like these joint either missions or training missions. And so the, the U.S. comes over all the time and they have a great time. They, they live in Haifa. So I don't know if you're in the north. Okay.
1: Yep. 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 Yeah. I went up to like where the Shait 13 is up there on that. Yeah. It's, it's like a place you can't find on the map type thing. It's, they do things the right way over there for sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Very fun. Awesome boys. Well,
1: let's, let's go around the room quickly. We do gym hitters. We have a little Spotify playlist that we plug every week. What is, what's your number one go-to gym song? Jordan, right now or forever?
2: I don't know if I have one gym song, but I would say anything Eminem is like, that's what I would always listen to when I was warming up for wrestling in high school before a match. And so Eminem is like basically the n- number one artist I'll listen to. Also DMX too, but Eminem or DMX are my two like main hypes, hype artists. Me too, me too. Give me one. You got you to go with one though because we're throwing it on the playlist and it's going to be a Jordan pick. Oh man. one song. I'm going to have to look up the name of it. Let me see one sec. We'll go to, Till I Collapse. I like that. Till
1: I Collapse. All right. It's on there, but guess what? It's got the double stamp. There you go. It's got the Jordan-sided stamp. <laughs> I appreciate that.
2: Or what about, what about Lose Yourself?
1: There you go. I don't think that's on there yet. Hey, it's the not one. on there.
2: We'll, yeah, let's do that. That's a good one. Perfect.
1: Awesome.
0: Nick, Nick, what do you got for Jim hitters?
1: I have a red, gold, green clapback. It's my only one this week.
0: All right. I came with a few. Number one, Mother by Dancing, something we haven't got on. It is an 80s song, so all the listeners can uh, can get ready for that. But it isn't like a hair metal song like I usually pick, so give that a shout. The second one, She Sells Sanctuary by The Cult, and then Paper Dolls by who. So I'm all, throwing all those three on the list for, for that.
1: Well, Jordan, thanks so much, man. We will plug the hell out of you when we post this tomorrow link all your accounts, et cetera. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I think you do some incredible stuff and I hope we can continue the
2: conversation down the road. Yeah. Thank you guys. This was great. I appreciate you both. And I'd be happy to hop on anytime. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, Jordan. You're the absolute man. Thanks for the time. I, I thoroughly appreciate it. And you are a, a staunch professional. You were awesome, man.
2: Thank you guys. Have a good day. You
0: too. Take Got care. Them.